This week on the Rail Splitter Podcast, we are talking the year 1862 and the politics and military situation of that year. Welcome to the Rail Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mary, and joining me tonight is Rail Splitter Nick. What's up, Rail Split Nation, all you people eating your uh, your your apples and drinking your apple cider, because it's autumn, baby. It's autumn officially. <laughs> yes, finally. My favorite season. And also joining us is Rail Splitter Jeremy. Hello, everyone. Hope everybody's staying safe out there. Yeah, so how New pad you- there, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the one third of Rail Splitter headquarters is now in a different house. We, we've moved, and I'm recording from my new basement. Um, with uh, I'm sitting in an old rocking chair that we bought when we had a little baby, and a footrest that doesn't match. So, I like the um, ceiling in there. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of got the industrial kind of thing, Un- unfinished ceiling, painted. Yeah, I'm, I kind of dig it because I can run cable without, you know, a hassle. Nice. Looks good. Thank you. Um, so how have you guys been? It's been a couple weeks. (laughs) (laughs) We both started school and, uh, let's just say that it hasn't been no fault to anybody's probably, well, depends how high up the chain you want to go. Whoever ate the bat. It's, it's been a start. Let's say, I I think wouldn't you sum that up pretty well, boys? Yeah, I, I sure would. I mean, I guess, you know, at any given time in your life, you probably always think that it's like the most stressful time, you know, kind of like when, when like, you know, at every age you think, oh man, this is the hardest age I've ever had or whatever. I don't see how any other school year could ever compare it. Like we always thought we were stressed, but now it's like, wow, that was nothing. That was, you know, that was, that was easy. You know, like that can't even compare to this. Um, But there is a, a really nice, we're all in this together feel you know it's cliche but it's true you know there's there is that sense of camaraderie that's been been nice and evident you know and people are pretty supportive for the most part so um but yeah we're uh we're we're facing some stress for sure kids are stressed parents are stressed teachers everybody um just with trying to trying to stay safe ourselves and deliver education and you know it's just a lot it's a lot and a lot of people are working hard so Mm -hmm. Um, at least when you go home and you turn the news on, it's all good. All the way down. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, yeah, it's been tough. Uh, of course, you know, I'm sure that it's no surprise to our listenership that we probably are all pretty devastated by uh, Justice Ginsburg, Bader Ginsburg's passing. Yeah. Because that sucked. Um, I just, yeah, that was a horrible, horrible news, obviously. Yeah. So yeah, that that was shocking. Yeah. Um, what was that? That was Friday night, right? That that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I will always yep. remember where I was and what I was doing when I read the mm-hmm. news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was uh, out protesting, heard that news, and then had to listen to a guy basically say that all protesters should be run over. So um, oh, that was shit. about the ten minute sequence of events that happened there. 
Wow. And then for about an hour, I lost hope in humanity. But, mm. you know, I bounced back and here we are. Yep. So I got masked beard and we're ready to rock and roll. Yep. Yeah, I was yeah. I was editing my podcast and I just saw this news flash on my phone and I was like, had about half an hour where I couldn't focus enough to edit. Like I was just like, this is the not supposed to happen right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not supposed to happen ever. I, I think I kind of saw her as being, I don't know why she was just one of those people where I was like, she's always been around. Um, so yeah, it's tragic, tragic loss. Um, 2020 has just been a year. You know, the kind of the most tragic part about, not the most tragic, one of the sad parts about it is that the politics are really taken away. Like these days should have been all about her legacy. Absolutely. Um, and the politics and no right or wrong to anybody. I get why the news is doing it, but was kind of overshadowed what she did um and her accomplishments so mm-hmm. yeah 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 it's, it's i mean when, when, yeah i agree like when a figure of her stature dies at the age of 87 with metastasized cancer yeah it really shouldn't be that i mean of course it's tragic uh, yeah. human life is sacred and hers is very much so i'm not denying that but like it's it, it's not you know Kennedy or King or, you know, or, or whoever, you know, like, like this, you know, she, you know, we should all be so lucky to do a 10th of what she did in her life, you know, in her lifetime. So, um, that in and of itself isn't nearly the tragedy as much as like, wow, the, the, the fact that one death of a, again, an 87 year old person with, you know, stage, whatever pancreatic cancer or whatever it was should not be like, this could potentially lead to millions of people losing significant rights, you know? Um, So like that, that element of it makes it difficult. Kind of like what Nick was saying, it makes it difficult to mourn because like, it's hard not to mourn for like what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. The, the, the results of this, you know, it's, and you know, it'd be nice to, it'd be nice. Like it should be where you mourn the loss as opposed to you mourn the consequence of the loss. Um, But that's where we are. No, I hear you. Yeah, it was pretty, yeah, it's very, very tragic. And, but I mean, I read a, you know, just reading about though her last days, though, just how she seemed to stay so positive. You know, she was like working out, listening to opera, spending time with her family and friends. Like she was just such a, like, you know, if we could all strive to be a little bit more like her, you know, it's kind of like we always say, if we can all strive to be a little bit more like Abraham Lincoln, I think if we can also strive to be a little bit more like her, you know, the world would be a better place. Agreed. Agreed, one hundred percent. So, Nick, you said you have something to start the show off with before. Yeah, we I, I, the... I do. It's been so positive so far. This <laughs> <laughs> Nick's going to tell us about lambs and bunnies and everything else, rainbows. Right, that's a very Nick to do. Yeah. <laughs> I've gone from being everybody's favorite rail splitter to being everybody's most hated rail splitter. I caused controversy a couple weeks ago. You did. I, I went after my my my, uh, my 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 town Buffalo, and that rubbed some people the wrong way. So we got a little negative feedback about it. Um, you know, I, I was kind of joking. I do really hate Fillmore, but um, I don't really hate the town of Buffalo, uh, believe it or not. So, and you know, it's stressful time. So I didn't really take any personal offense. But yeah, I definitely got some. Uh, the town of Buffalo people have rallied behind Buffalo. Uh, they're off to a great NFL start. On top of that, too, two and zero, sitting ahead of the Patriots. Thanks, Nick. you know they're home to the greatest American-born <laughs> NHL player, Patrick Kane. Um, 
So, you know, uh, I once attended a Bills game um, at Buffalo, which was an amazing experience. Um, those guys, too, go through tables better than any ECW wrestler I've ever seen during their tailgate. Um, so I do have in my heart a little bit of love for Buffalo. And it's really a shame that Miller Fillmore sent me down that stretch where I angered the fans of Buffalo. So I apologize. When I, when I f- go after Fillmore, I will try, try, because I am not perfect. Close, but not perfect, <laughs> to leave Buffalo out of the mix. So, um, no, I, and you know, one of the listeners, uh, experienced, you got a family member there and unable to get there because of COVID and, you know, I, I feel for you there definitely. So hopefully, um, you're able to get out there see your family member, um, from there. And from now on, I will do my best to keep Buffalo out of my Fillmore rants from this point forward. So to the mistake by the, like, I mean, sorry to okay. Buffalo, <laughs> I was so close. Thank <laughs> No, that's uh, well done, Nick. I think that's good form to apologize. Yeah. Of course, we didn't. Well you know, done. it's all tongue in cheek. You know, yeah. and it is nice to see Buffalo's football team doing well. I mean, at this rate, they could. You know, if they keep this up, they could. They could do well enough to lose another Super Bowl. Oh, dude! <laughs> well, Patriots <laughs> are going to win the Super Bowl this year. So, he's put on a tee. I've also, you know, seen as a the, kid, I always rooted for Buffalo in all four of those Super Bowls. I did too. And I, I remember I going like the fourth one. I'm like, they can't lose four in a row. And I remember one, I, I, it was like a, I was hanging out with like a kid who was like two years older than me in high school or something. He's like, yeah, they can. And sure enough, they did. And I really love those teams, man. Jim Kelly, you know, Thurman, Thurman Thomas, Thomas you know, Andre Reed. Yeah. Oh, man. There was just a great group Scott of guys. Norwood. Yeah. I can't so. stop. I can't stop. His name's Scott. Uh, I know it's Norwood, right? Yeah. Right? Right? Yeah. Right? Wide right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> this is horrible. This is the like, worst non-apology of all time. No, I'm with you. I was I was a Buffalo Bills fan too. I had a starter hoodie like back when the starter. Oh, dude, those oh were, god, it was like starter? the coolest thing. You, yeah, starter was like the, the pullover. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was a sweatshirt. It wasn't like a coat. Oh, okay. But it was cool. It said Bills down one sleeve, and yeah, I, I really formed those Super Bowls too. I always said they were my favorite AFC team back when you could just claim stuff like that when you were a kid. So, um, yeah. So. I had That's one, just what I, I wanted to start. Go ahead. I had one of those starter pullover jackets. Um, it was oh, Montreal yeah. Canadiens of all things, and like I had one. Yeah, the Habs. I had yeah. wanted one for years, and my parents were like, "No, they're too expensive." And finally, I got one, and I wore the shit out of that jacket for like <laughs> ten years. I got it when I was thirteen, and I was still wearing it. When I was twenty-three and in university. Like it lasted forever. It was crazy. But yeah, that was like my crowning achievement when I was like 13 was getting a starter jacket for Christmas. I had the Michigan pullover. I was a huge Fab Five fan. Ew. In days. <laughs> um, I actually looked into like buying one recently, but then I thought it's probably not as cool anymore. What the pullover? And, uh, like the start? Do they even still make the, starter? You could, sure you could probably buy one on like eBay or something. Oh, I'm sure you can. I think starter's still around, isn't it? I'm yeah, sure. I think they're kind of just yeah they've switched gears. They they still like make apparel, but I don't know if they're in the yeah the team brand stuff. Yeah. All right, so All right, we that... digressed quite a bit there. I got to be a better host here. Okay, so um, actually, we we have a couple books. We just and I know Jeremy's going to talk about his a little bit throughout the episode too. But just right off the bat, like one book that I want to mention that I would recommend to our listeners 
is Fierce Glory by, um, I believe his name is Justin Martin. His last name is definitely Martin. But it's not only about the Battle of Antietam. It is about what Lincoln is going through during the Battle of Antietam. And it sets a really nice, he does a really nice background for the year 1862 and all that Lincoln goes through politically and militarily that year. And it is one of the best Civil War books I've ever read. Um, and if even if you've not, even if you know somebody that's not really into history, you could give them that book and they would probably enjoy it because the way he writes, he's not like talking about where the cannons are in the battlefield and all that. He's telling the personal stories and he really humanizes it a lot. And he especially, you know, he even the way he talks about Lincoln is so humanizing as well, but it's just, it needs to be made into a movie basically. But that's one of the books that I used for um, the basis of my what I did with in this podcast and the other podcast that I'm part of too, where we talked about Antietam as I used that book, but it's an excellent one to have for, for what was going on in 1862. And then Jeremy, you had one as well that you were going to. Yeah. Well, you know, kind of, you know, we built this episode around and we're going to get into 1862 as, you know, arguably, and I think our little thesis here um, with Mary in the lead is um, that 1862, um, was or may have been or, or arguably was the, the most, I don't know, important maybe year in Lincoln's presidency or pivotal or, um, you know, whatever superlative you want to give it. Um, and there's a book I read probably six or seven years ago um, called Rise to Greatness, Abraham Lincoln and America's Most Perilous Year. Um, and, it's, and it's a biography of Lincoln solely on 1862. It's by David Von Drehle, uh, V-O-N-D-R-E-H-L-E. Really, really concise, you know, um, book that's pretty action-packed, kind of, you know, doesn't really read like a novel, but it's pretty quick-paced. Um, I really enjoyed it, and, you know, his thesis was, you know, he called it the most perilous year, kind of getting into the idea of, of not necessarily its importance or its significance historically, but how the entire country, the entire war, the entire presidency was really teetering during 1862 and could have tipped one way or the other toward tragedy or triumph. And, um, and that's why he calls it perilous. And, you know, I think looking at where Abraham Lincoln was in January of 1862 to January of 1863 is, is a remarkable um, transition for the war, for him. Um, and I think that 1862, you know, when you're talking about the four years of the Civil War, you know, 1861, of course, you can get in pretty deeply to the cause. In 1865, you have the assassination and the end of the war. In 1863, you've got Vicksburg and Gettysburg and the tide really turning. In 1862, it sometimes gets overlooked just how significant really it was from just what, where we were going to go in, in the direction of the war and the direction of Lincoln's presidency. And I think you really start to see where Lincoln becomes president grows into who he, you know, who he becomes and kind of starts to become that mythical figure we talk about all the time. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a hell of a year. Um, and of course we say this and I don't want to steal your thunder, Mary, but talking about 2020, like what, what's 2020 going to look like? 50, 100 years from now, you know, when I was teaching U.S. history, I, I always looked at 1968. Um, so maybe that's a question for our listeners, and we're going to talk about today. Like, where is 1862 in that 1968, 
you know, um, and possibly 2020 conversation. Um, and I would argue that it's, you know, and I think what we're going to say is it's right up there. I'll tell you where 2020 goes. Government teachers will be teaching authoritarianism um, as opposed to democracy. <laughs> He's our little ray of sunshine on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're going to, the blue wave's coming, baby. And we will save democracy. It will be the year that democracy was saved and made even better. Absolutely. But, you know, probably now we'll probably all have a Trump picture in our wall next year. But anyways. There's our little ray of sunshine again right there with Nick. <laughs> Sorry, it's so hard. But you know what? I got nothing. <laughs> um, Go ahead. I'll shut up now. <laughs> So, yeah, as like Jeremy summed it up quite nicely there, that 1862 is definitely a challenging year for Lincoln. And I, you know, I'm coming away from like, you know, just the research I've been doing lately about it, like realizing like, wow, this this was quite the pivotal year for him, for him. You know, not only is it challenging, it's a year of crisis for him. Like, you know, he's going through a lot of stuff politically, militarily, but also personally, which we will get to soon. And there's so many different moving parts that Lincoln is dealing with in 1862. You know, from a political standpoint, you have the congressional elections that are happening, and a lot hinges on those, depending on the military situation. So everything is tied in together. You also have foreign issues. So if there's too many, if the Confederacy wins battles, then Britain could recognize them. Um, And you also have the border states that he's dealing with, too. So he's got to keep, you know, if he loses one, if he loses, say, Maryland, for example, when Lee invades Maryland, if Lee wins it in Tetum and then Maryland decides to secede, what's to stop Kentucky, Delaware, you know, the border states from seceding? Um, and then you have him dealing with the emancipation, which is probably the most, one of the most important things to come out of 1862 is that emancipation, um, which he issues on September the 22nd. But you also have like things from a military standpoint. And I wrote in my notes here what he's dealing with. McClellan, McClellan, McClellan. <laughs> and also um, John Pope as well. And um, there's a lot of losses militarily in this. There's seven days, second bull run, um, you know, and then Fredericksburg at the end of the year when Burnside is in command. And Lincoln needs the wins to get the congressional elections to go the way he needs them to go. So that's it. They're all tied in. Like I, you know, when I started this, I was like, Hey, we'll just focus on politics. But I'm like, no military is tying into it as well. Um, you have Lee invading Maryland, which Lee's doing, you know, not just from a military standpoint, but he's doing it to feed his army because it's harvest time. And he doesn't want to take, you know, the crops from war torn Virginia Um, but he's also knows what's going to do to Northern morale with the congressional elections coming up. And he hopes that will shift the balance of power enough that the war will end. Um, but there's also something that happens to Lincoln personally near the beginning of the year. And that is the loss of his son, Willie. And that's something that he never gets over at all. And nor does Mary. And I think that's something that, um, you know, the one thing that I enjoyed about Martin's book was that he, he weaves Willie into the story so much and how much it was still affecting Lincoln even into September of 1862 when the Battle of Antietam is fought. Um, so that's basically where things are at for 1862. Do you guys have anything to add at all? Well, talking for the politics and military meeting, 
you know, part of why McClellan hangs on as long as he does in 1862 is because of that election, too. And he doesn't want the blowback from getting rid of him Absolutely. and possibly costing votes. So, you know, a lot of times politics and military are intertwined. And I think we see that a lot with Lincoln yep. and his decisions. Yep. And it's especially evident in 1862. Go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a theme throughout American history that the midterm elections are when regardless of how popular a president is, when they lose their much of their popularity and certain their their pull and their power, it's, you know, and it makes sense. It's kind of a shift back to the middle. Um, and 1862 is no different. It's, this is not a new phenomenon with, you know, like the Republican, the red wave or whatever in, in 1994 or, you know, when, um, you know, in both of Bush's terms and both of Obama's terms, that midterm election brought in the other party in, in much greater numbers. Um, so yeah, like 1862, I think those elections are extremely important. Um, and you can't separate military and politics because every time Lincoln took a step forward politically, he took two steps back militarily, you know, mm-hmm. it's like support for the war may be increasing or he might, you know, have, has been, you know, he's managing everything. Well, the troops are well supplied, you know, he's, handling all keeping all of the all of the balls in the air so to speak and then the generals can't get out of the, get out of their own way and and he's got to handle communicating and leading with these devastating losses not just not just with real estate militarily mm-hmm. but the human life yep yeah absolutely and so just um just for our listeners cuz I know we have some international listeners too and I even had to look into this a little bit more but congressional elections they fall between presidential elections and that's to elect both representatives and senators. I'm getting that right. Am I? Yep. So the entire house, because all of the entire house is up every two years, because every you know the representatives have two year terms, and the Senate has six year terms. Um, so a third of the Senate generally is always up on those even number years. So uh, when there's a non presidential election in an even number year, they call that the midterm election. Um, so Lincoln wins in 1860, and there's a pretty decent amount of Republicans because you know the Democrats largely were from the South and they seceded, of course. Um, so, you know, and the losses, it wasn't necessarily the losses as much as that importance of the election. And, you know, it does take, it does take a little bit of political, if energy, if not, you know, influence away where you can't, you know, you can't do as much because you got to worry about the midterms because uh, what you do could impact, you know, people down ballot. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, and historically it's, it's been a shift back toward the middle, uh, in the divisive era of, you know, of course the civil war, um, politics were, you know, very much aligned with Mm -hmm. the war, um, in many ways. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, like, so Lincoln is having at the very beginning of the year, like he knows he's going into a congressional election year, but he's having to deal with McClellan and it's the um, so it's in February or March, the joint committee of conduct of war is saying, what the hell's going on? What's he doing? So McClellan's got to present this like plan for what he wants to do. Um, and he's ha- like, and finally Lincoln's like, fine, go do it. So McClellan manages to get within like four miles of Richmond. Like they can see the spires of Richmond and at the time, it is Joseph Johnston that is leading the um, the army in in that area. 
and he gets wounded at a battle, and then all of a sudden Lee is in charge. Now, McClellan and Lee had um, actually been together during the Mexican War, so they knew each other. Lee knew exactly who he was dealing with and how to deal with him. And so you have the seven days battle, and they get driven away from Richmond. And I can't imagine how pissed Lincoln must have been about that, that they were... You know, not that, but, you know, later we learned that Lincoln said, you need to go after the army, not the city, focus on that. And it wasn't until Grant that that really clicked with the general, that that was what needed to happen. So that's what he's dealing with at the beginning of the year. Well, so plus, did they, uh, I was just humiliated, like. Oh, well, that's, why they, that's why they call it the Seven Days War, because McClellan was weak. Yeah. <laughs> I have no words. I have no words either. That that is gotta be I said what I said. That's gonna be the best worst real spinner joke ever. I'm gonna mute my mic for five minutes. <laughs> that joke has had to be said at some point. By I someone. don't know. I think he might have been the first one. There are too many dad joke deliverers in the wow. civil war community not to have oh. said that. I'll take credit for it though. Happy to. You 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 can you <laughs> You get the same on that one, Jeremy. Go Sorry on. if I ruined your train of thought with my hilarity, Nick. No, I didn't really have it. I was just going to say, it's that like McClellan lost. I would argue he's humiliated. He thought the numbers were way larger than they were. They go in, you know, basically these Quaker cannons. Um, he's just, you know, completely outmaneuvered, outplayed at yeah. that time. Well, he's using Pinkerton at the time. So Pinkerton's coming back with these, like, already inflated numbers. And then McClellan's like... Increase them by 5%. That's what he did. He said, increase them by 5%. And that's what he sends to Washington to get more troops. And finally, Lincoln is like, I've given you all these troops. You need to do something. But then McClellan ends up getting demoted. Halleck becomes commander, um, or not commander-in-chief, general-in-chief. And so he's kind of like, so then you have McClellan, who's probably bitter about the de- being demoted. Um but then McClellan completely gets put into a timeout and Lincoln brings in John Pope from, from the West thinking that he's got an aggressive commander with him. And you have like second Manassas, which is a complete route and complete loss for the union. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, especially second Manassas or second bull run. Um, Cause that's really where you see, that that's you know Lee's one of Lee's masterpieces, but certainly Stonewall Jackson's uh, played a huge role. So I think that the military elements of that particular battle are you know and rightly looked at and talked about quite a bit. But the significance of you know it being <laughs> literally at the same place as yeah the first major battle of the Civil War and and it being such a devastating loss and being so close to Washington and yeah um, just a huge huge you know, morale, PR, support for the war, uh, blow for Lincoln. And, you know, um, and, you know, and Pope, and I think, you know, it gets overlooked often too, that, that when, when you get the army, like Pope getting command of the army of the Potomac or, you know, taking over, that's a pretty big leap for anyone. Like, like there yeah. wasn't, there wasn't, you know, and I think that's part of the reason Grant handled the transition better than anyone, because by the time Grant got there, he, the, the armies of the, that he was commanding in the West were big enough where they were comparable yeah. in size, but you keep bringing in guys who had 
significantly smaller commands um, or were obviously under McClellan who were also not doing well. Yeah. Um, but I think Pope's a good example. He kind of comes in, you know, here you go, <laughs> you know, yeah. tens of thousands of troops in a major engagement and he's got no idea what to do. Well, what Lincoln does with Pope is he actually creates what's called the army of Virginia and he takes elements of the army of the Potomac from that, but he's also got, you know, other elements in that too. And Pope is coming from this, like, off this win in the West. But the other thing, too, is McClellan writes this letter, I believe it's to his wife, where he basically says, I hope Pope fails at this. Like, there was such a rival rivalry between the two of them. Um, and that's ultimately what happens is, is Pope ends up failing at this. Lincoln thinks, oh, here's an aggressive commander. And it's like, it's just like an, oh, shit, we've just had another route kind of thing. Um so then you have Lincoln basically, you know, put like politically, like you're looking at it, it's it's late August now. The congressional elections are just a few months away and he's had yet another loss. And he's having to worry about, like, as we said, these elections, he's having to worry about the foreign issues and the Confederacy being recognized if they keep winning these battles. Um, but then there's also the situation with who do we put in charge of the army and his he has a meeting with his cabinet and he says i'm putting mcclellan back in charge again we're we're taking him out of his time out and we're putting him back in charge again and his cabinet says no you like he gets a lot of pushback but lincoln is basically like i don't have anybody else yeah that's that's an element of leadership not that my leadership role is anything close to it but like where you get a resounding no from and he's like, okay, what? provide an alternative. <laughs> you know, I was like, it's easy to say, like, this is a terrible idea. No. Like, okay, what do you suggest instead? It's like, um, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, there wasn't, and that's, I think, you know, it's not like Lincoln was just completely naive in, in going back to McClellan or making a really stupid decision. He didn't really have much of a choice. You know, like, it's, you know, and I'm sure that, he was cringing and, and hated the decision himself, but what else was he going to do? Yeah. And he, he said himself, he's like, I don't have anybody else that I can put into play right now. But the other problem too, is that, so now they've made the army, the Potomac again, they've got rid of the army of Virginia and just like merged them all together. Lincoln knows that morale needs to be raised. And McClellan was really loved by his troops. And Lincoln basically said, well, if he won't fight, He'll get them to fight. Mm -hmm. And that's what he needed. And McClellan comes back, morale is raised, and that was exactly what was needed in the army. Well, and it was, and the fact that they liked him was really huge because it's not as if Pope was a humble man or the, the, the opposite of McClellan. Like, he was the one who came in bragging about coming from the West where they only saw the backs of their enemies. Yeah. You know, which I'm sure went over really well with, you know, people <laughs> who coming, were coming into a new East, army. Right? Yep. Yeah. Like, Oh really? Cause we've been fighting Bobby Lee's like, like that's exactly like your siege of Corinth, you know, with like, you know, what, a you know, maybe a thousand or whatever casualties. And now you're going into second Manassas with 15,000. Yeah. Um, you know, a little bit of a different ball game, but to come in with that bravado, um, is fine if you're going to win, <laughs> but when you come in bragging about only seeing the backs of your enemies, uh, and then you lose, um, McClellan doesn't look quite like the egomaniac and the fact that the troops liked him, 
I think even supported that decision a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, do you have anything to add at all? No, I mean, sometimes in life you got to pick the least shittiest of shitty options. And I think that's kind of what uh, Lincoln was faced there with McClellan. And yeah, McClellan did do some positive. It wasn't like he was he a complete waste of space. He did bring morale. He was able to get those troops prepared to fight. Um, and, and that was very beneficial to the Union for that. So I think sometimes that gets lost on McClellan. Um, there was just something about McClellan when it came. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the coach, good practice coach, and you have good game coaches, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, coaches who struggle to make uh, adjustments in the game. And I think that's kind of where McClellan fell in on that. Yeah, and I mean, I have to say, like, the one thing that I took away from just, um, I listened to a podcast about the Battle of Antietam, and they talked a little bit about McClellan's leadership. I came away from it, you know, kind of thinking, like, I do respect McClellan a little bit more for what he was able to do to morale, and just what he was, you know, he improved, um, you know, how they were getting supplies and all that, and... Um, it was a really, it was a really good change that was needed in the army at the time, but yeah, he could organize the fuck out of the troops, you know, and get them ready, get them ready to fight, um, and just raise morale. And that's what was needed too. And and as well, we have to remember McClellan is a Democrat, so that's going to appeal to the Democrats in the Senate Congress as well. And I don't know how this of all podcasts pivoted toward being pro McClellan, but I agree. And I do think part of him getting a bad rap historically, like, you know, 200 years later, you know, he has the unfortunate situation of all of his letters, personal correspondence to his <laughs> wife being published. So like, yeah. you know, it looks like an egomaniac, but much of that was not intended to be read publicly. You know, him saying, I've been called upon to save the nation again. And, you yeah. know, him calling people buffoons and whatever else, like, you know, if all of our private conversations were published, you know, we'd probably all look a little foolish at, you know, for oh, sure. Not but. me. I put it all out there for everybody to see. You do. We, we, we're aware. <laughs> <laughs> that way I just accept my ass-nish. I don't know what that is. Ass-ishness? Ash-ish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've had a new oh. joke invented tonight on the show as well as a new word. I like how we've increased our profanity on the show, and the joke is like the lamest pun of all time, like the cleanest possible joke. Yeah. Fuck um, yeah. <laughs> Nick and I are the swearers on the show. Although Indeed Jeremy, you've you been are. known to uh, drop the odd f bomb. I have. Yeah, I have. Yeah, you, I, I have. remember the. Yeah, See, like that's the thing, though. You, 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 if you, you say it too much, it doesn't. It doesn't carry the same. No, weight. when you do it, like I remember every single time See? you've done it. See, there you go. Yeah. I come away from that episode. That's the one thing I'll say to Jeremy. I'm like, Jeremy said the f word. <laughs> and in reality, I actually swear it a lot. I mean, this oh, is reality. Too. I'm not saying it's not, but um, you know. You have a better filter than us on the show. Yeah, I just have. A little, I'm just more paranoid about somebody taking like a four second clip and being like, "This is why this person sucks." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried about that. Maybe I should be, but anyway, I mean, my other podcast, I <laughs> definitely the swear. Well, we both swear on it, but yeah, it's. Uh, I had to write it e because <laughs> there's See, that's, and that's why we're sibling podcast because where yeah. you can comfortably swear about the civil war exactly yep <laughs> love it um so 
So you have McClellan coming back in and like Lincoln's not just doing that for military. He's doing it for political purposes as well. Cause he needs to, he needs to get a win just in case Lee decides to do something. And Lee does Lee invades Maryland on um, September 2nd, 1862. I hope I'm getting that date, right? He invades Maryland and he's doing that. As I said, just, you know, he needs to feed his army and it's harvest time and he's going to go into a state that's not war torn and all ripped up like Virginia is. And he's also doing it to affect Northern morale because he knows if he can get a victory on Northern and, you know, in a border state, Maryland, so technically on Northern soil, um, and it's an election year, he could shift the balance of power, not only to sway, to, you know, change the congressional elections, but also to get foreign recognition as a legitimate nation. And he's looking for that from Britain and from France as well. So that's just yet another thing that Lincoln is juggling right now is dealing with that. So that's what happens on September the 2nd. And that's just another thing that, so immediately the army of the Potomac, which is guarding the defenses around Washington is told to go and go after Lee. And then you have the battle of South mountain on September 14th. But then you have the Battle of Antietam on September 17th, 1862, which is the bloodiest day in American history. And um, it's debated whether it was actually a win for the Union. I say it was because of what came out of it, which was Lincoln issuing the emancipation. But had that battle been lost, I think it would have been devastating for the North. I think it was the most important battle of the Civil War because of just what came out of it and what was all hinging on it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's it's the one battle that everything kind of comes, the political um, side of it, where you know the, the the Union desperately needing a win, and then its ties to the Emancipation Proclamation are direct, making it you know because because you know that's arguably the most significantly, at least historically, political move of the war, and then of course you know. I think everybody gets kind of tied up in that debate. Like, was it a victory? Was it a draw? Yeah. You know, like, did it really matter from a, you know, invasion, you know, defense, blah, blah, whatever. But the fact that it's really not argued that it was a loss for the union, right? It's, it's either, it was a small victory or a draw. Yeah. Like, I think there's something to that to like, yeah, it was, they didn't lose. Cause had they lost, in any way, shape, or form, you're right, Mary. It would have been devastating, yeah. and, and potentially, potentially turn the tide, not militarily necessarily, but politically, yeah. from a public opinion standpoint. Um, and I do think Lincoln, you know, did everything he could to spin it into a victory, you know. And I think the, you know, a lot of people in the union tried to do that as well. But there's no denying whether it's a victory or not. The sheer number of casualties was just shocking, devastating, you know, yeah. um, when you the, have- the, the Matthew Brady photos that come out of it are like, you know, really, really devastating. Um, and really brings the war to people at home. Yeah. Yeah. Like if those photos had come, like those photos were going to come out regardless victory or not, but if they had come out, if it had been a loss, like not only do you have like just reading in the newspapers that it's a loss, you have seeing Mm-hmm. the loss as well which is going to even do worse things to to morale and all that but the most important thing to come out of this is on september 22nd lincoln is going to issue the emancipation um and that is probably 
you know, one of the biggest things of the Civil War right there, like, and it's not just a political thing, it's not, not a military thing, but it's a moral thing, too. And it's, it also shows the shift in Lincoln's thinking as a person. As yeah, well. and I mean, and obviously, and I'm sure we will at some point have an entire episode just on the Emancipation Proclamation. But in, in terms of 1862, um, often, often, often people argue like it didn't free, it didn't give any enslaved person freedom because it talked about, you know, of course, it declares any enslaved person in a state currently in rebellion is henceforth and forever free or, or whatever the language is and saying like, oh, he had no authority really to do that because he had no control about, you know, whatever your position on that is, I don't think it really matters because mm-hmm. when Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, he forced everyone into a choice. He made the war about enslavement. It always was about enslavement, but you could say, you know, making it with the Emancipation Proclamation so much more directly about enslavement, he no longer allowed people to say, the state's rights argument or like, I don't like it, but you know, I don't, I, I think that it could be legal or I, you know, I, I know that slavery is wrong, but the economy depends on it. Like all of those other arguments like that, that, that lifted enslavement up mm-hmm. basically by issuing the emancipation proclamation. I feel he said, you have to choose. This is what the war is. If you support the union, you now support emancipation. And if you don't, you will support enslavement. Um, and, and that was a risk because a lot of people could have said, like, you know what? The economy depends too much on it. I still need to support enslavement. I, I can't support a war that's going to get rid of it. Um, and Lincoln was like, fine, like, we don't need you. Um, but making this this officially making the war about enslavement and getting rid of the stupid you know, economic arguments or, or, you know, states' rights versus national unity, all that other stuff, and basically said, this is what this war is going to be about, and you need to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it turned out to be a gamble that paid off very yeah, well ended, as far as the arc of freedom goes. kind of ended this era of compromise when it came to enslavement. It did. I mean, as soon as you're willing to compromise with enslavement, enslavement wins um, that side of the argument. And finally, he put that to rest with this. There's no more of this because there was still a lot of people think maybe the start of the Civil War did that. But no, there was still people looking to allow slavery to stay, um, to end the war, to keep the union together. So this officially ends all that garbage with the Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri Compromise, all that stuff. It's officially put to an end um, when he issues this. And then, you know, on the fact that, as Mary put in the notes here, you know, uh, slavery has been abolished in April. So it's just showing that, hey, this is where this is going. This is what yeah. the war is about now. Um, pick your side. We're going to do this. Um, yeah, it, it was masterful and much needed. Yep. Uh, yeah. And, and this is something that Lincoln has been, you know, this has been a huge thing in his mind for the entire year. And he first tells Seward and Wells about it on July 13th, 1862, that he's thinking about doing it. But he had been thinking about it prior to that. Lincoln actually writes most of the emancipation at the soldier's home during, like, when he's there during the summer and stuff. And Wells wrote in his diary um, about Lincoln, he, he dwelt earnest, earnestly on the gravity, importance, and delicacy of the movement and said he had given it much thought. And 
Lincoln said, we must free the slaves or ourselves be subdued. So Lincoln is, he's, he's saying this is about slavery. So just as, yeah. you, just as you said, Jeremy, like it's, he it is it about slavery, which it, was needed. Very much so. And the fact that it's like this proclamation, it doesn't have, other than the henceforth and forever free part, mm-hmm. it doesn't have that like flowing Lincoln-esque speech language that yeah. you get in the second inaugural or the Gettysburg Address. So sometimes I think it, 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 it only gets looked at as like, you know, this, it's kind of misunderstood, I guess, or not, you know, or oftentimes kind of overlooked or, or played off as like, well, yeah, it was just a war measure. Yeah. He only did it to gain support. Yeah. He like, I think that that it, it was a tremendous risk in September, you know, almost, you know, almost exactly like this time of year. So, you know, how close it is to the election. Um, and and it really, you know, I think in his mind, he wanted to make, you know, the whole time he wanted to make the war about enslavement. And and this is a point that I've made on the show many times, and I, it, it's certainly up for debate, but I feel he was always an abolitionist. Mm-hmm. He was a politician by, by profession, not an abolitionist by profession. So he knew he had to say in 1860, if I could keep the union together and not free a single slave, I would do it. If I could keep it together by freeing all of the slaves i would do that too like call it dishonest call it whatever you want but when you're a politician sometimes you have to say things because if you say how you really feel for better or for worse i'm not saying it's right or wrong you just can't do that no. um and i feel that lincoln was an abolitionist when he said that i don't think he would have you know i think he would have tried to end enslavement even if the, the union would come together you yeah. know without freeing a single slave um not just from a, this deep abolitionist feeling, but also from a rational place too, to know like there is no way that this country is going to come back together permanently half slave and half free. He said that way back in the house divided yep. speech, you know, like if he was like, Oh, I, if I could bring the, the nation back together without bringing a single slave, I think he knew he'd be like, then I would be postponing a civil war for, you know, we keep kicking the can down the road. Like Nick was saying the entire history of the country from 1776 the 1861 to, you know, wherever you want to draw the line, the entire history was a tap dance around abolition or, or the continuation of enslavement or however you wanted to keep it going. Yep. And the, so then, and absolutely, yeah, you're, you're, you're right about that 100% what you're saying. So then, you know, he issues this on September 22nd, November, the um, election, the congressional elections happen and the Democrats, they get an increase of 32 seats in the House, and they reduce the Republican majority to 25. But five and five vital states where Lincoln had won every electoral vote in 1860, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois elected Democratic majorities in Congress. But in the Senate, they pick the Republicans pick up five seats. Um, Illinois elected nine Democrats and only five Republicans to the House of Representatives. Um, and then Skylar Colfax is he wins the Speaker of the House, and I think he's the guy that is in Lincoln calls. He says we're no, does he? He's that the one where he's like we're whalers in the movie Lincoln. Am I getting that right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's one of my favorite scenes from the movie. Um, so I think overall the election, like, I don't think it's as devastating as it could have been. Like, obviously not because. Like, 
Lincoln's able to keep going and all that. And um, the emancipation gets issued. But the other thing Lincoln does that is part of his political genius is he keeps McClellan in until after the elections are held. Yeah, yeah, and that's important. I mean, they, he, you know, the Republicans did lose some seats. Um, they did not; they lost their majority, but they kept their plurality, which meant they were yep. still able to elect Skylar Koufax as the Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. Um, but because there was a third party thrown in there called the Unionists, which were kind of, you know, centrists more so, um, you know, they, they, you know, they lost a little bit of ground, but did not lose lose the majority, which which is important for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And um, they, what was I going to say now? I kind of lost my train of thought there for some reason. Um, Yeah, like, so it doesn't turn out as bad as what it could have. I mean, it's not the perfect situation, but, you know, Lincoln's had the victory at Antietam. He's been able to issue his emancipation. So then he just keeps McClellan in long enough, and then he gets rid of him. And McClellan goes to New Jersey and he's going to run in the 1864 election. And Lincoln brings in Burnside um, as commander. And um, one of the reasons that Burnside accepts the command is because he finds out that if he doesn't accept it, Hooker's going to get it. And Burnside (laughs) hates Hooker. (laughs) So rivalry going on there. So 1862 um, doesn't exactly end on a, like it ends on a positive note, but you know, it's negative and positive. Like you have the horrible, defeat at Fredericksburg and all those soldiers that are, that are killed there, you know, just like at Antietam. But I think it's on January the 1st, 1863, that he signs the emancipation and he's been like shaking hands all day. And I love that story where he's like been shaking hands all day. And he's like, if it looks like I, you know, if it looks like my hand was shaky, people are going to think I hesitated and I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's a really, um, that's a really cool Lincoln story as well. Yeah, whether it's apocryphal or not, I I don't think matters. Like yeah. I think it's so indicative of who he was. Yeah, but I think he give, ends up giving the pen that he signs the emancipation with to Charles Sumner. I think that's who gets that pen. Yeah, well deserved. Yeah, thank. Hope I'm getting that right. I think I, I think I read that in Fierce Glory and in a couple other places too. Um, so yeah, 1862 definitely. I think the most pivotal year of the Civil War and politically for Abraham Lincoln and I think the United States just for all the different reasons that we talked about tonight. Um, like there's so much going on and it's all tied in together. Um, and you just really look at had things gone differently, you know, especially at Antietam, how much harder it would have been for Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Lincoln's growth as a leader and as a president, as a person can be really summed up by just looking at 1862 because the situation in and of itself isn't hugely improved. But you go from where he was in January of 1862, where he's lamenting to Miggs, you know, General Montgomery Miggs. Mm-hmm. The people are impatient. Chase has no money. The general of the army has typhoid fever. The bottom is out of the tub. Yeah. What shall I do? Like he's in this moment of despair, basically saying like, <laughs> you know, this is lost you know the bottom out is out of the tub you know is you know euphemism or colloquialism for you know we're 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 totally screwed and then he ends the the year even after fredericksburg looking at a man you know he he's on the precipice of emancipation 
heading into 1863, which of course turns into be, you know, a year of a very good year as far as movement toward the end of the war and the in emancipation. Uh, but just the, um, the resoluteness that he had with, you know, wanting to sign that, you know, strongly and confidently going from where he started the year with the bottom is out of the tub to ending the year with, this is a war about emancipation. And I'm, and I'm strongly supporting that I think is a pretty remarkable measure of growth. Yeah, absolutely. Nick, any thoughts? No, no. I mean, I agree with you, you guys. have said it all a hundred percent. So, you know, yeah, 1862 is important. Turned out well. Yeah, and in his um, his message to Congress, he says, in giving freedom to the slave, we assure freedom to the free. Honorable, honorable alike in what we give and what we preserve. We shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of Earth. Which I think is one of his more famous lines from any of his messages to Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing too that I just want to mention that happens in this year too, not like he's juggling enough. He's got that cabinet infighting that's happened between Chase and Seward, where they both submit their resignations, and Lincoln is finally like, "You guys need to grow up and stop doing this." Because there's like, there's other shit going on that we need to deal with besides you two like being drama queens about stuff. So he's he's got that going on too. But yeah, I think he, as you said, Jeremy, you summed it up excellent. You know, he's going from the bottom is out of the tub to like, he's got this emancipation. He knows what the war is about. And it probably gave him personally like a lot more direction with where things were going to go. And, you know, and just like, you know, for him personally too, what he's going through with the loss of his son and how Mary is like, he's just dealing with so much this year. And for him to come out of this crisis like the own personal crisis with losing his son, but also, you know, there's political crisis going on, you know, potentially things could go really bad if the congressional elections don't go very well, which like I said, they weren't perfect, but you know, he's still in a good mm-hmm. position at the end of them militarily. Mm-hmm. He's dealing with a whole bunch and he comes out of the crisis. And I think it really, this year really shapes him um, not just politically, but personally as well. So that's good news for all of us living in 2020. Will come out better yeah. on the other end. I think 1862 is definitely Lincoln's 2020. Agreed. I think we've covered all we wanted to cover in this episode. Bam. Yeah, I think we're good. Yeah, that was a great discussion about that too. Mm-hmm. Was, um, so I guess we can move on now to our weekly features. Uh, the first one is Of the People by the People. And, I'll go first, um, just because you probably, you, I'm guessing maybe one of you have mine. Um, this was uh, one that was submitted by the Lincoln Museum, but uh, Dave Chriswick, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, uh, put it on the Facebook page for the podcast, um, where the catafalque that um, Justice Ginsburg was laid in state upon at the Capitol was the Lincoln catafalque. It was built for Abraham Lincoln, so a catafalque is a fancy word for like a, a coffin pedestal i don't know um but uh, it's a very nice yeah it's a very nice um you know connection i think to the those two particular individuals so um the i believe now she's still laying in state so um her you know she's being laid in state on top of um a catafalque built for abraham lincoln which is which is amazing Mm -hmm. and, and lovely and i think that's great yep and that yes, that was one the what was the one I was gonna say, but that's totally okay because I've got a backup. So um, 
the the Real Splitter Facebook group is really awesome, and I haven't been able to get on there as much as I've wanted to lately. Um, but we had two listeners um, or two members of the group post um, artwork that they had done of Abraham Lincoln. So the first one was Dude, by... can't take two. I have one of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Go ahead. Um, so both Michael and K- and Kaylor have done some pretty impressive sketches. Um, well, one's an ink, ink portrait done by Michael, and K- Kaylor did a um, a sketch of Abraham Lincoln side profile, and they are both like amazingly like they're beautiful. Actually, he they both did a really really good job. So thank you to t- the both of you for for posting those. Um, and my apologies to Nick for for taking your thing. <laughs> Dude, you chose two. Now I'm scrambling. And having to kill time as I scramble. Should just go with this Iron Sheik tweet. What? He's a wrestler. Oh, yeah. John uh, Tattoo Distorian posted about him today, right? I think he did a tweet about him. Did um, he? Oh, I, well, Nick's looking for no, 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 there, was a, there was another sad passing, too. Um, yeah, there was a wrestler passing. No, Iron Sheik just tells... Uh, yeah. He just tweets, go fuck yourself yeah. all the time. <laughs> but, which is hilarious. <laughs> Ed Ed Bears died. Um, oh yeah, we, we should have mentioned that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we can mention now. Use my time to mention. Yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. I totally. We he was overshadowed, rightfully overshadowed by uh, Justice Ginsburg's passing. But um, again, you know, it's one of those things. Like the guy was almost a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. World War II veteran. Amazing. He gave so much to the Civil War community. It still sucks. Like, I'm still, you know, man. I know. I'm like, geez, 2020, like, could you just stop now? Like, you know, I mean, but as bad as I say 2020 is, I, I recognize, like, I'm very lucky and I'm actually coming out of it, you know. Life is good right now, you know. Sure, yeah. I mean, despite. Yeah, you're Canadian, dude. Of course, 2020 is like, uh, you guys just get to sit back and watch this shit show to the south. And I got my true Literally. daddy. <laughs> So, yeah, the, the one thing I will say, though, and I don't mean to make light of anything at all, but those two particular individuals were like, I always looked at them like they're indestructible. Like, yep. clearly, Absolutely. like Ruth Bader Ginsburg has had cancer like seven times. Yep. You know, she's 87 and Ed Beers just lived forever. Like, you know, <laughs> he was like, yeah, he was like in his like mid 90s, like walking across the entire battlefield of Gettysburg, giving it to her. I'm like. Yep. Like, I think immortality is possible, and I think these are the two people that have it. And then they both died in the same week. I know. It was horrible. I, I just remember watching Ken Burns' documentary when it first came out and just being like, you know, I mean, you could listen to Shelby Foote, say what you will about him, read the phone book. Like, mm-hmm. but Ed Bears, like, it was just like, I loved watching because he was so animated. And he got so fired up about it. Like, he was just, and he had so much knowledge, and he gave so much to the field, and we were so blessed to have him in the civil war field with all that he gave and all that he did. And considering he was like, I was reading some comments about it on one article and there was somebody that went on cause he used to do these civil war tours. Like they had trouble keeping up with him. And this was just a couple years ago. Yeah. It's awesome to have that much passion and then being yeah. willing to pass it on to others. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, think how many people got into the civil war because of him. Yep. And his passion is really remarkable. I don't think there'll ever be another like him in the field, at least not for a very, very long time. You know, he's really awesome. 
So Nick, did you have a post yet? No, that is mine. <laughs> I, I dedicated my time. Okay, you dedicated that. your time. Okay, so our last feature is this week in Lincoln. And I'm really hoping you two are going to bring your game to this one. <laughs> yeah, Nick's got it. I know he's got it. Yeah, I Nick, you got one, right? Even if I had one, I wouldn't use it after getting my for the people, by the people ripped off. I really don't have one. Let me look in this room. Let's just reiterate our apology to the city of Buffalo for Nick to issue <laughs> such a heartfelt apology is, is, is really something. So <laughs> yeah, let's just honor that one more time. Yeah. Oh, actually, I do have a This Week in Lincoln. Well, it might be... I don't know if it's really this week in Lincoln, but um, this was actually a few weeks ago that maybe I mentioned it. No, I think I mentioned this one. Lincoln in Private, the new book by uh, Ronald White. I think I mentioned that in the last episode. So but that's a new book that's coming out about him. I mean, one of those pictures should have been our week this week in Lincoln, too. Uh, maybe that doesn't fit. Actually, no, I just found one. Karen Thomas um, Long posted a picture of this Lincoln mug she had. And um, it's a Lincoln Memorial, and there's a kid sitting on it with a list. And Lincoln with is a saying, list? list, list, <laughs> you'll get it in a second. Lincoln saying, honest kid, I'm not Santa. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that's cool. I like it better if it was a lisp. <laughs> that would make no sense. I just like it because it's a mug, and it would be another one for my collection. Yeah. <laughs> So I've been seeing those mug tweets too. I think that's purposely directed at me to irritate. They are. Me. I'm harassing you passively with the mug tweets. Unacceptable. Nope. If you're going to harass me about the Patriots, I'm going to harass you with my mug. Yeah, you deserve to be harassed by this. <laughs> yeah. Everybody get mad at me about Buffalo. Mary's a freaking Patriots fan. <laughs> Turn that anger towards Mary. <laughs> Direct your anger at me. I, but because I'm Canadian, I'll just apologize, right? Let's say I'm sorry. Go. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're Canadian. Very heartfelt. Uh, don't even. Uh. Oh, if I'm Canadian, what? <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're all going to have to live there, though, if Trump wins, just so you know. Yeah. Hopefully, you got a spare room. I call dibs. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just, yeah, the couch is fine for me. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. I think that's a good uh, uh, place to, to leave off for. Uh, for this episode so thank you to both of you for being part of this and uh dealing with my mumble jumbled notes that i kind of drew together at the last minute because i'd had everything in my head and i was like i need to get this down on a piece of paper um or google whatever it is hey Docs. you did all the heavy lifting so <laughs> thank you hey no problem um you guys did awesome though i really appreciate doing the podcast with you it's great so until next time be safe and keep walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all. And we will see y'all again soon.